On Monday, you are going to see what is referred to as a supermoon. And I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about photographing the moon as well. I don't know if this is something you guys are planning on doing or not, but I think it's going to be quite interesting. So this is according to Space.com, and they mentioned that on Monday, November 14th, at 6.15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the moon will arrive at its closest point to the Earth in 2016. This will be a distance of 221,524 miles away. This distance, which is measured from the center of the Earth, to the center of the moon is within 85 miles of the moon's closest possible approach to Earth to be sure this is an extreme perigee. And so what this means is if you've ever photographed the moon and you know kind of what the optical illusion that the moon does is when it's near the horizon it's going to look really big and this is going to be a super moon so this is extremely big. And I think it's also important and worth noting on here and they talk about this when the moon appears near the horizon when it is rising and so this will be just before 5 p.m. on November 14th that's when the famous moon illusion will kick in which makes our natural satellite appear exceptionally large. However, that illusion happens frequently when the full moon skims the horizon. The supermoon that shines down on us later on November 14th really won't look that much different from other full moons. So we'll talk about the whole what is a supermoon and how does that fit in in a second. But in general, when you're photographing the moon, there's a couple of things that go into it. It depends on what kind of uh, picture that you want to make. And if you want something that's zoomed in with a lot of detail, probably against a black sky, focal length becomes very important. And the moon is very tricky to get with various focal lengths because in order to do that, you're going to actually need to have a focal length lens that is probably a little more than most mortals can afford. And the closest I ever got to this was a couple months ago. I had a Sony RX10 Mark III on loan to me. And this is a kind of all-in-one lens camera. Um, they call it a bridge-style camera. And I did a review on that. I'll link it up at the end of this video. But the cool thing about it is because it has a one-inch sensor, it has a zoom lens that has a focal length equivalent from 24 millimeters all the way to 600 millimeters. And so I did a lot of photographing up the moon when I had that camera because it really allowed you to get up close. Between that and the resolution, and you could do just a little bit of cropping, but you could get a lot of really nice detail. Exposure is really not that difficult. You do have to manually expose because the cameras or the meter that's built into the camera is going to want to split the difference between the extreme dark sky and the extreme bright moon. So you do want to go into manual mode to really be able to dial that down and get it right. But it is possible. And I did a lot of still photography of that as well as some time-lapse stuff. And it was a lot of fun to do. But focal length is can be a problem. And I think, again, timing and where that moon's going to be in the sky is a big part of that. So if it's lower and closer to the horizon, it's going to appear much larger. The higher it gets, it's going to appear further away. I mean, this is an optical illusion. It's not actually what's happening, but it's how we perceive our view of the moon through the atmosphere. So timing is essential. The other thing you can do is if you do want a long focal length, and what I will probably do as part of this is I'll use an APC sized sensor camera, and then I'll use a lens adapter and use one of my old Nikon or Canon lenses that's 300 millimeters long. And that's not going to get you up to 600 millimeters or further, but it will get a little more into the ballpark. And if you have a high enough resolution, again, you can crop in just a little bit to get that right. You know, when all else fails, there's other things too. Um, a little over a year ago, we had what was called the blood moon. And the blood moon was interesting because it involved a time sequence. Um, there was the Earth's passing through there. And it was actually very beautiful. I was living in my old building at that time and all my neighbors were all up on the roof and we were all photographing this thing. And I really didn't have equipment to get close enough to this um, because it was a little bit high in the sky where we were from Dallas. And so one of my neighbors actually had a telescope and I had made this image and literally this was done on my iPhone. I stuck my iPhone into the 
telescope viewfinder. And so, you know, whatever works, I guess. And if you're super nerdy and into astronomy, there are ways that you can connect a DSLR or a mirrorless camera to a really nice telescope too, if you're really into that thing. Uh, most people don't take it to that extreme. The other thing to consider is time and when you are going to be photographing the moon. And if you do it too early when the sun's still up, it's hard to see the moon, obviously, because you have reflected sunlight competing against daylight. And if you wait too late, it's hard to get, if you want to incorporate landscape or any elements on the ground into your composition, it's harder to do because the exposure of the moon is so bright, it's reflecting sunlight. And so the best times to do this are usually either at dawn or dusk, depending on where you are in the world and where the moon is going to be and when it's going to be at full. Um, and so when you do this, and here's, this is a time lapse that I shot um, when I had the Sony RX-10, and you can get some interesting effects if you shoot a little bit earlier to allow a little bit of light in the sky to come through with that. Now the reason I'm mentioning all this, and I think this is actually kind of cool because I think this would make an interesting example for the photo assignments that we're doing as part of this show, where we're doing 10 different images and variations on those images. Try to approach this 10 different ways. This will be challenging because it's kind of hard. You're at one vantage point, the moon's a long way away, and you may have only so much landscape to deal with, and how far can you move before the moon has changed position? I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. So I'll probably do it for photo assignments. Um, in fact, I will do it for photo assignments. I think it's going to be an interesting challenge. So. This is the, these things are what pushes us photographers. And remember, we're giving ourselves permission to fail. 10 images is a lot for something like this. But the whole idea is that maybe you'll have one in here that is something you've never done before that works and that comes out and it's the right thing to do. So that's what you want to look at it as. And the last thing I want to mention about this in terms of the supermoon, the term supermoon is a term that's been used mainly by the media in recent years. It doesn't go very far back, and it's mainly used to hype events that we have. And I don't want to diminish that because this is the closest it's been since 1948, apparently, and it won't be this close again until, what is it, uh, 2034, November of 2034. So, you know, it's an interesting event, but again, because of that illusion as to where the moon is in the sky and how big you're going to perceive it, most people will go out to look at a supermoon and if you don't know what you're looking for and you don't know, you don't have any point of reference for what that looks like on a regular full moon, it may not look that much different and most people will just simply perceive it to be that. In fact, if you look at the difference in this image is also from space.com, this is what a supermoon is in relationship to a regular full moon and you can see that it is significantly larger. But again, if you don't know what you're looking for, don't have a context for it, then you may not notice the difference. In fact, it's interesting that article goes on to say it's like comparing a six in 16 inch pizza to a 15 inch pizza. It's larger, but unless you've had that pizza a bunch, you probably won't notice the difference. So anyway, some things to think about. And uh, like I said, I'll be shooting this and I'll see if I can bring you guys along for the ride on here. And uh, if you enjoyed this video, please remember to like it, share it, and as always, subscribe to The Art of Photography so you'll always be up to date. Until the next time, I'll see you guys then. Later.